0: Hi, this is Daniel Patrick Brennan, this is the Wine is Food podcast, and I am sharing a microphone with Emily Hodson-Pelton in uh, Virginia. My first interview in the United States is in the up-and-coming wine state of Virginia. And what what wine region are we in? Monticello. Monticello. Monticello Monticello wine region.
1: Monticello AVA.
0: And we're at Veritas Wines, which... uh, I was very happy to see there were signs on the interstate for Veritas Wine. So I I suddenly got a little nervous. I was like, "Wait a second! This is this pretty important interview. This is probably the first uh, one where they've had highway signs, you know, off it." But then, of course, I'm in the U.S., so things things are different now. We like to signpost everything. That's right. We
1: actually, and we're very proud of the fact we actually just got Monticello AVA signs, even so that you know when you're coming in and out of each AVA in Virginia, which was yeah. So it's all all over the state now.
0: so I met you last year at the Wine Bloggers Conference in Charlottesville mm-hmm. and uh, I kind of met you really quick and obviously the whole thing was really hectic. It was a lot of fun. I think it was a great thing for Virginia wine, mm-hmm. um, but I know I wanted to talk to you a lot more. Um, well, first, just tell me a little bit about your, your, your start for your family. Your, you know, this is a family business, right?
1: Yes, it is. It's myself, my mom and my dad and my aunt and my uncle. And my sister and my brother. So it's a, a family concern, as they say. Yep. Um, we started back in 99. Um, that's when my parents bought the farm, quote unquote. And um, I was traveling when they called and said they'd bought a farm in Virginia. I, I grew up in Florida. Okay. So a farm in Virginia was, was a pretty big stretch for <laughs> us, especially with acreage, because in Florida, everybody's on their little postage stamp, you know. And um, what part of Florida was it? North Florida, Jacksonville, yep. Florida. Okay. Um, it's where I spent most of my life before this. And um, I can remember my parents calling me and saying, we've bought this farm in Virginia and we've decided we're going to retire and uh, uh, <laughs> grow grapes and open a winery. And I, I, I remember to this day hanging up the phone and saying, oh, that's great, my parents are having their midlife crisis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, But I... Um, of, I slept on it, and by the next day, I knew that I wanted to be part of their story. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually want to be a winemaker or a grape grower or anything like that. I just wanted to be kind of on the founding level of it, Mm -hmm. help them get it started. And um, it uh, also helped that I was was in the middle of doing uh, a master's in infectious diseases, and I wasn't really thrilled with my direction in life. Mm -hmm. I loved studying it, I loved epidemiology, I loved um, disease and disease control, but the actual field work, which is where I was at the time, I was out in the field, wasn't for me. And where was that at? I was in Southeast Asia in Nepal. And um, uh, it just, I, I take everything heart too much and yeah. so every story was my story, yeah, it, that's was gonna, gonna it was going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> so when they said that they were starting um, with this new venture, I thought, well, this this may be my, not my out, but my time to just take a break, take a step back and decide if it's something that I want to come back to. And, Little did
0: you know winemaking would eventually kill you. (laughs) Yeah, and winemaking will kill me (laughs) as well, but in
1: a good way, probably. Um, And uh, so I decided to to come over and um, work with them for one year. And um, in the interim, um, I got to know the winemaking community, and I did a few internships, and... um, really fell in love with what was the industry, and not necessarily just the the romantic side of like, oh, oh," you know, wouldn't it be great to be a winemaker? It was Mm -hmm. really the other side. It was the people that are in the industry are just out of this world. And then the mixture of of art and science, which I know sounds a little bit, uh, people say that a lot, but it really is true. There's a lot of science behind, you know, sort of the epidemiology of yeast and bacteria and where they come from, and so... It was a a really good fit for me without without people dying. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So one year became two. Two years became three. Then I decided um, if I was going to continue to work with my parents, I needed to get a ticket or a degree of some sort in what I was doing. So um, I went to Virginia Tech and I got my master's in enology.
0: That's pretty convenient that that was right up the road. It well, was. sort of up the road. But.
1: You know, I I really had wanted to go to California for it. I was kind of I've always... Um, I've always visited California. I've always loved California. I sort of saw it as an excuse to spend some time in California. Um, but at the end of the day, when I looked at, you know, the whole list, or, you know, your pros and your cons, um, you know, the out-of-state tuition in California was so much. You are preaching to the choir. That's and, why I ended up in New Zealand. Yeah, and the... Um, <laughs> Uh, I was there were so many more people involved so it felt less um, intimate and then Mm -hmm. Virginia Tech it was a very small program which at first was scary for me but then by the end of it was actually a a really positive thing for me because I got to know everybody around me
0: Yeah, I think um, you know like sort of outside the box I wouldn't have known when I got into it, but, I mean, there's enough of Zecklin's papers out there and some of the other mm-hmm. stuff going on there that we read all We read all that stuff right. going through school School I went to. So,
1: right. you know, and
0: plenty of Davis and Bordeaux stuff as mm-hmm. well, probably more, but still totally legitimate. And I, I wouldn't have realized that until I got into it myself, that Certainly. how important what was going on or what is going on at Virginia Tech. So that's pretty Yeah, that was very cool. good,
1: and it was also... Um, just nice to get to know uh, my peers around me by studying and basically at Tech you're it's more of an assistantship mm-hmm. so you go around with the state conologist and so I got to meet uh, all of the winemakers in the area so it was a nice and I, I went
0: to a Tech as well so I get you yeah, it's a lot more hands-on too and mm-hmm. there's uh, <laughs> a little you know we always joke around about the Davis students when they come to New Zealand, we're like, yeah, so this is a pump, <laughs> uh, you turn it on this way, you know, um, I'm sure I'll hear some crap for, her some shit for saying that, <laughs> you, you because it, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be interviewing some Davis students probably in a month or so, so, yeah. uh, that are friends of mine, but it's, uh, we got to give them some shit for something, you know what I mean? Sure, so, yeah, so.
1: and on, on both sides of that too, even in, even in Virginia, you know, um, getting a degree from tech, it, a lot of people ask me, is this something I really need to do? Do I have to go to school? And I, I always tell people, you know, what I learned at tech or in my degree really was the, the sort of the backbone of analysis and understanding, um, the science behind wine. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want, if you want to learn how to make wine, just go work somewhere. Yeah. I'll teach you how to make wine and how to run a pump. And I
0: always, you know. I've had that conversation recently that there was so many, uh, you know, because the school I was going to, we were getting kids like out of high school. It's just, oh, this sounds cool. I want to go do it. And uh, there was only a few that ended up making it all the way through. But I, I had more respect for the ones that stopped and said, wait, maybe I should go work a vintage or two before I realize if I want to do this.
1: Yeah, because it is an interesting profession. And I think people do romanticize it so much. Yeah. Um, that when, when you're out there and, and you, you know you're getting stung by wasps and you're covered in drippy juice and you know 90 percent of what you do is cleaning you yeah. really have to do that you really have to like it um otherwise it's it's not romantic at all <laughs> yeah
0: it sort of weeds weeds out people um fast so getting back to veritas wines yes uh so you were part of the uh the start and started the founding and certainly it was pieces at a time obviously this is a beautiful facility first of all mm-hmm. and i want to say also uh as soon as it's it's pretty amazing i was in you know dc like early early this morning i left dc and i was mm-hmm. feeling very cosmopolitan and yeah. feeling you know walking the streets i was on like our street right off of logan circle mm-hmm. and feeling yeah. like you know you know i was out last night and yesterday at some restaurants mm-hmm. and and then it was like all of a sudden i'm in God's, I'm in God's country driving around the hills and I sit, it was like almost as soon as you get off a of 95 there's mm-hmm. it's just it's beautiful out here yes. you know and uh, and then pulling up the driveway here again after I saw all the road signs I, uh, it's a, you guys have a beautiful property here mm-hmm. so yeah. was the vineyard sites are they all here or are there some other spots or is it basically all around here
1: um, all of our vineyard is here we have one more vineyard that's about 30 miles west that we lease okay it's not owned by us but we do lease it Um, but for the for the most part everything is here Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I have about 30 acres planted here Um, and then another 18 over in Ivy Um, and I don't know if you saw as you drove in there's a little like like a little clearing yeah it looks like some more coming up there um, I have another 30 acres going in there which I'm really excited about when we when we bought the property back in Um, the late 90s, early 2000, um, we planted kind of what was accessible, knowing that we also had that that hilltop that Mm -hmm. was kind of, for lack of a better word, perfect for grape growing, but was going to require clearing and experience, and we felt like it was just too big of a chunk to deal with as as newbies, as novices. Mm -hmm. So we planted sort of what was already cleared. It was a horse farm before. We planted, you know, sort of 10 acres in our first year, and then, 17 in our second, and just kind of kept adding on. Um, and, and was it
0: a, uh, you know, I've noticed on the website there's a lot of blends, so was it a, always a mix then, or did you guys say, oh, we're gonna start off with this so, grape, and?
1: Yeah, um, we met with a lot of consultants. Chris Hill definitely gave us a lot of input. And um, we had some ideas of our own about what we really wanted. For example, Sauvignon Blanc, I knew, no matter what anybody told me, I wanted to plant. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, if, if I could make it, I wanted to. Um, and then we got recommendations, for example, Viognier and Petit Mensang and Petit Verdot were recommended to us. I can't say I knew a wh- whole lot about it before yeah. I planted it, um, but they were recommended for the region. And um, basically what we did is we put a little bit of everything in every spot. And what I mean by that is our lower fields, I have Chardonnay, Merlot, Cap Franc, Petit Verdot all down at kind of 900 feet, and then all those vineyards on your left as you come in that are up on the slope. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing again. So I've got sort of Chardonnay at the bottom and Merlot at the top and Viognier around the side. And then I have a top meadow that you can't see from here that's about 1,100 feet um, where I have the same thing. Well, that's where my Sauvignon Blanc is. But then I also have some Chardonnay, some Merlot, some Kempfranc. Um, the thinking there was that, you know, the, these were all distinct microclimates mm-hmm. and we weren't sure what was going to do well where Um, so we, uh, diversified even on the, on the property.
0: And, um, pretty heavy soils everywhere or is it a real mix or from what I just saw from pulling that hill off there, I saw it look like a little bit of, uh, clay or Mm -hmm. a little bit of that up there. We have
1: a lot of clay down here, um, and a heavier clay down here. Um, very rich soils. It's yeah. one of the things that we fight here in uh, Virginia is our, is our vigor, yeah. our rich soils, our deep soils. So th- the, the lower vineyards um, are, have very, very rich soils. And as, as you get up to my top meadow, um, it's better. It's much more sort of shaly, mm-hmm. rotten rock, um, but still uh, loam based. But then the top the top, I just, I can't even wait to get into. There is clay, but it has a lot of, um, the rotten, rot, the broken down sort of schisty, um, soil in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it, it's up on that knoll, kind of, we have beautiful drainage.
0: And do you guys ever get frost issues around here? I didn't even think of that till just now. Um. Knock on wood.
1: <laughs> I did in 2007. Okay. That was my last frost, um. But that wasn't a frost really. It was a freeze. We had three days below twenty nine. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's three true. nights in a row, and um, you know I usually bring in twenty two tons of Chardonnay, and I I brought in four. Mm. It was one of those kind of years, and um, but other than that, no, I mean I get a little bit here and there. I get more towards Charlottesville than I do here on property, but um, obviously audience can't see it, but we have a lot of slope to our property. Our relative elevation is, is great because everything kind of goes,
0: drops down into the valley or whatever. Down and out. Yep. Down and out. So
1: that's helped us a lot. And that was beginner's luck. i tell you that much.
0: And so the varietals again, that you guys grow here. um, I I wrote them down. If you want me to,
1: if I forget something, let me know.
0: Um, Well, you do a, what I saw was a Chablis style Chardonnay. I do. uh, A Viognier, which, uh, is we're doing a lot of in New Zealand, and I think it's a great varietal. I love and uh, I'd say the, st- the styles range a lot in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do anything from the really oily, rich ones to some of the crisper, dry ones. And mm-hmm. probably much like Virginia, we're still finding our way with mm-hmm. new varietals and what we clones. think the style should be and the clones. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're sort of going through the same thing with Pinot Gris right now, where you might find... You know, all over the place. Really simple, blah. Mm-hmm. Not really good ones to amazing, really rich. Mm-hmm. Some are some of the really good ones are even crisp and mm-hmm. quite dry, more Pinot Grigio style. And mm-hmm. so anyway, sorry. Back There's to that. so <laughs> much you can do. with Yeah, Viognier is just a cool varietal, yeah, and I think it's a really interesting food wine. And um, and we'll, we'll get to the food. My food question okay. in a minute. But um, and then I saw you have the. White Star, which has a varietal in it I'm not familiar with, but it has Meunier, Chardonnay, and Traminette. Tramonette. Okay. So what's, like, what's Tremonette?
1: Tremonette is a hybrid between Gewurz and Sayez. Um, it's very aromatic. It's very, very similar to a Gewurz, but more uh, floral rose petal um, in its in its aromatics. Um, so
0: that's got to be a pretty aromatic white it then. It is, you and know.
1: it goes in my White Star. Um, uh, which kind of makes it more fruity and more accessible to people. And then it also is the base of my dessert wine, my Kenmar. But we really, we literally, we put the Tremonette in. It's along the roadside in all our low-lying spots. We really put it in so that if we ever did get frosted or if we had problems, like, we had a hybrid along the roadside as you drive in, so mm-hmm. we didn't have like plants missing and things like that. Yeah, I don't think we really knew what we were gonna do with Tremonette, Um but I, I've enjoyed it in the ice wine. It's a very, just it's a very unique grape.
0: Yeah, sounds like it. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, <coughs> excuse me. Petite Manseng. I, I gotta say, I don't is that. an
1: anomaly. Uh, I'm still learning how to make Petite Manseng. Um, and what I mean by that is Petit Mansang is is the, tini- the tiniest little grape you've ever seen, and um, it is a very high sugar, very high acid grape, okay. and which is great for Virginia um, because we one of one of my hardships is that I lose acid so rapidly, hot evenings, hot days, mm. and um, Petite mansang, for example, um, in two thousand and ten, I was waiting for the acid to come down because the acid was so high. So I was still at like, um, 11, 12, 13 TA. Mm -hmm. And I, but I was up in the twenties for bricks, 24, 25. And I was like, I was right there at 24 and I was still at 11 TA. And I was just, uh, just kind of pulling my hair. I'm not sure whether to just take it all the way to a dessert wine or, or pick it with that much acid, which Mm -hmm. I've always been hesitant to do. Um, Uh, And I should just let it go and have it be a dessert wine, but I already have that kind of built with the Kenmar. um, So I didn't want two dessert wines, a Petit Mensang and a Tremonette. So I try and do the the Mollieux, that sort of slightly off-dry. I'm always aiming for like 2 or 3% residual sugar, natural, on the Petit Mensang, but it's always rocking in at like 28, 30, 32 bricks.
0: Now, is that something that you think... You know, with Virginia sort of becoming this up-and-coming wine region that it may not be a bad thing to have some wine with some residual in it and sort of open up to more people and sure. maybe not be, uh, and I'm not saying that you are or anything, but maybe yeah. not say, oh, we're so only going to make dry, dry wine and, right. and this and that, and say, well, no, we're going to try some different things for different people. And
1: Sure, yeah. I think it's a, it's a, a, a nice way to go. Also because I prefer, and I hope I don't f- offend anybody, but I prefer Petit Man versus Vidal. Mm-hmm. As a grape, as a wine. So, Petit Mensang will afford us the same thing that we can do with Vidal. It's a little, little bit less management because it has such good high acid, it, it hangs well, and we don't need to spray as much. So, um, is it
0: an American clone? Petit Mensang? Yeah. Um, or no, is no, it, no? It's from the It's, it's Vitis. It's Vinifera, vinifera yeah. And but, it's, but Vidal, is Vidal is a, is a yeah, hybrid. Because I actually work for a winery in New Zealand, or I used to, called. Yeah. Uh, Vidal, vital, hmm. and I was telling him, I'm like, you know, that, I think that's a grape in the U.S. You're gonna have struggle to uh, yeah. s- to sell, it. and they ha- and in fact haven't uh, sold it in the U.S. And probably for that reason. For
1: that reason, and Vidal here is is kind of used as a base, as you were saying, for what I call more user-friendly wine, slightly sweeter, softer, mm-hmm. um, which we can do with Petit Manseng as well. Uh, and also have it be a vinifera, which, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a vinifera snob, but um, I do prefer it in wine.
0: Sure, mm-hmm. sure. I haven't had many foxy wines that I've been into that much, yeah. but I'm willing to try. If you told me, sure. definitely check something out, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that oh, that I did list. write it actually down. So it's from I wanted to ask you, Southwest France. Yes. Uh, uh, what is it?
1: Geronçon.
0: Jor- Geronçon. Mm-hmm. And uh, really close to the Pyrenees in yes. Spain, right?
1: And one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in the world. Yeah, I'd like to go there. And part of the reason we planted Petit Mensang, I, I went on a study trip um, organized by Dr. Zoclin. And um, we had already done our first planting, and we went to the Geronçon sort of in between. And when I got back, I knew I wanted to plant Petit Mensang as yeah. well. And it was on our list. People were already planting it. It's not like I invented, you know, Petit Mensang in yep. Virginia. But it was certainly being there and seeing their growing conditions and what they have. And they have Petit Mensang and Grow Mensang. And the Grow Mensang is too tight for Virginia. It's a grow. It's just like this big, fat, sort of Sauvignon blancish grape mm-hmm. tight clusters. So that wasn't a good fit for us. But the Petit Mensang is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I wanna yeah. I want to go. I want to go check it out. So Kenmar is your blend? Is that what it is?
1: Kenmar is my um, ice wine. Kenmar okay. is the Tremonette. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I oh, these little bottles. Yes, here. these yeah. little bottles. Yes. And I, sorry, <laughs> it's okay. I freeze these grapes and I do a, you know, a cryogenic extraction. Mm-hmm. Um, which is nice, actually. I, I like that I don't have to make that wine along with all the others because um, ice wine, you know, it's such a slow ferment it requires so much attention. You know with the high sugars um i do that in the winter in january or february
0: oh well, speaking of uh interesting process i want to say that very envious of your tank space and space in the winery here i think what a lot of people like we have a lot of um certainly some europeans but a lot of americans who come down to new zealand to do harvest and some of them are amazed at that you can the tiny it. wineries and the you know you know marginal equipment uh, and there's some wineries don't get me wrong there's some wineries that are totally state-of-the-art giant massive plants you know right. uh, particularly in Marlboro and some of the you know Constellation brands and stuff mm. that are around Hawke's Bay but mm. you know there's also like like Vital for instance that one winery I was talking about was really old school everything's on stillage so we hand lift all our barrels stack them three high and and people are just I think I did that one year. Yeah, people were just pretty like, <laughs> I was like oh, Yeah, no, there's gotta be another way. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's one good thing about uh, Unison putting in the bottling line is we are gonna have a forklift finally. That's so good. Uh, Well, not everything will be on stillage, but our underground cellar will still be so, but, you know, keeps you in check. It's funny. (laughs) I think no
1: matter what you have, you always, for example, um, I, I feel really tight here. Yeah. Um, So I'm like, (laughs) I keep saying, you know, I wish I had a bottling tank or I wish I had, you know, a 6,000 gallon tank or, No, no matter what improvement I make, I've always got the next one like in the back of my head. You always go into
0: another winery and you're like, "Oh, this is pretty cool. I want one of those." I'm gonna, yeah,
1: I'm definitely gonna do that. (laughs) Um, So I guess that's progress. Though, what do they say? If you're not growing or changing, then you're dying, and and that's where we are here. I don't know if you saw as you walked in that that first barn was my original winery. Oh, okay. I made wine in in that building for two or three years. Then we built this um, part, which is, the tasting room is upstairs, Mm -hmm. and I made wine in in this facility for probably another three or four years, and then we built that facility, which has the event space above, Um, and uh, that's where I am currently, so that was three phases, so we're just about to start phase four. I think as I was telling you before, phase four has got us all kind of... Stumbling. Yeah, 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 you're sort of waiting to I think we know too much now for the next growth phase. I think it's you know paralysis of the analysis. Yeah, yeah. Before we were like, oh well, we need yeah, a few let's more Just things. do it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um cool. So then your reds are well I have um w well, Cab Franc Merlot Chamborn, is that how you say?
1: Chamberson. Chamberson, okay. Can't That's read another my
0: hybrid. My hand, yeah, I mm-hmm. can't read my own handwriting. Mm-hmm. Uh but Let's talk about Cab Franc, that's kind of what the red grape of Virginia that everybody's sort it of...
1: sure is, and um, Cabernet Franc um, does very well in Virginia because it has a slightly looser cluster, so it's not as rot-prone, but then it also, it's coming in a little bit earlier than say Cab Sauve or some of the other, you know, more classic Bordeaux reds.
0: Yeah, so let me explain this to the listeners out there. Mm-hmm. Today is a mild day in Virginia. Yes what probably about in the 80s today or something but the humidity is is here yeah it's not going away Uh -uh. it's here all summer yeah i certainly am uh i i don't know how you guys do it (laughs) i don't know how you i mean not only like i come back home uh to you know the philadelphia area and it's very humid there as well and uh after working in napa and new zealand it's dry it's dry you know and it's and uh you know Napa, I think, is extremely Mm -hmm. ideal and a great place to grow grapes. Uh, New Zealand, we have some other issues that we have to deal with, but humidity is not usually one. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, we're usually fighting the season, the length of our season, if anything. Um, But we have too much water. Yeah, I'm just like whoa. You know, how do you guys do it? You know, Mm
1: -hmm. it's in the humidity. It's in the rains, late season rains. Um, We have we have pretty. uh, dialed down spray programs now to where we can we can really ripen grapes well without the disease pressure we used to have you know 15 years ago um uh but that said it's really what's really fun about virginia is because we have these challenges we really are finding var- varietals that suit uh, us like mm-hmm. us specifically um and viognier does so well here because of that open cluster that thick skin we can, you know, it, it doesn't really care so much about the, the humidity yeah. and the heat. And um, Cab Franc was in there. Cab Franc is pretty solid um, year in and year out. Um, Petit Verdot also, I, I'm, I'm probably falling more in love with Petit Verdot than Cabernet Franc. Um, a really thick skin, a later ripener, but doesn't, doesn't, need, doesn't have to ripen as long as Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, and it eliminates a lot of that greenness. and You yeah. can get rid of the greenness sooner, even though you're uh, less mature. Um, so what do you guys um,
0: normally harvesting out as far as sugar level? For, say... 24. You know, you're yeah, you're looking for that 24.
1: Yeah, 24-ish. Um, in 2010, we had a, a, a really compact harvest, really hot, really dry. And um, you were seeing easy 24 into the 26s, the 28s. and. True. Um, I watched. I watched my colleagues kind of fight with it because you know, oh, it's riper. Get it, riper, riper, riper. But um, I'm always really shy of alcohol in in my wines, and so I was um, picking a little bit earlier than my colleagues. And I'm, I'm. It'll be interesting to see how my wines age up compared to my colleagues in the same region. Um, but I'm still glad I did. I'm yeah, still glad I, I didn't I get so hot.
0: Yeah, I think. Um... Well, alcohol is the one issue, but then you got to watch the flavor, you know? So mm-hmm. you were always watching that, and great if you can get it that high, but if then the flavor in, drops out and the acid drops out and, you, you know... You get into
1: those dried fruit, more of the dried fruit aromas, more and less. I, I really do, I'm aiming for, you know, fresh fruit and, and vibrancy in my reds. Mm-hmm. And, um, there is that fine balance between the tannin maturity and, and the, that... that beautiful fresh fruit quality um, so I try and I try and do both um, I try I almost um, I won't say on every field but uh, for example my Winfield Merlot I always bring in two steps um, I always bring in um, a, what I call my first pick which is the lower portion and then the second pick mm-hmm. and the first pick is usually two two and a half weeks before the other one Um, The early pick, just really building in in, um, the freshness that I love. Mm -hmm. The later pick, building in the the tannin maturity.
0: Give you some blending options Mm -hmm. and stuff. That's good. Love to do that. Um, So going back to one of the first things we talked about, which was the bloggers conference last year. Sure. Um, Again, I wouldn't have known a thing about Virginia Wines if that wasn't it. Have you seen or felt any heat from that in the past year? Or is it just kind of too soon to tell? Or is it, did
1: you, we certainly, um,
0: I mean, I thought they did a really good job of being, you know, presenting Virginia wine, but also not being pretentious or anything. Just like, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. This is what's going on. And I I certainly felt like most people there that, that you you know, Virginia did a good job of doing it. Uh, Charlottesville was a great town to do it in. and the Omni was a cool hotel. It was, yeah. The, the <laughs> um, but I mean, everything was... It was great. It was really good. And I was pleasantly surprised. And it's kind of why I'm here. Because I wanna, I'm want i interested in what's happening down here. And I went back to New Zealand and California saying, you know, they're going to blow by New York soon enough. And it's going to be tough to pass, um, you know, Oregon and Washington as far sure. as production or, or international and national um, awareness of, of what you guys are doing here. But it's yeah. certainly on its way and with dc not far away i mean i mentioned you guys to a couple friends in dc and they knew veritas and yeah, stuff yeah. so that's good and yep. maybe it is just the street signs on on 64. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh no i think it, one one girl i talked to had, had the wines and she liked them and everything so um certainly getting up and around and, sure, and yeah. this uh, is more a
1: people. like a fun time to be a part of the virginia wine industry kind mm-hmm. of the founding member yeah. of the world and Um, It just feels like, you know, as you were saying with the Bloggers Conference, you know, that that had really good energy and and pushed us forward. Totally. And um, it just feels like it's one thing after another, even, you know, with our, uh, you know, our local politics, even, you know, the the governor of Virginia is very supportive of what we're doing. It's really built a lot of um, brand awareness of Virginia Wines and has really um, upped the ante, as -hmm. they say. Um, uh, for distribution and awareness of Virginia and Virginia wines and go local. And so that kind of built in as well. So we've just got this positive spin that just just doesn't seem to...
0: And do you guys sell Veritas mostly in Virginia, but do you do a bit in D.C.? Or what, what would you say is sort of your distribution Mostly channel? in Virginia,
1: I think we're doing just about 80% still, which surprises me, um, about 80% out of the tasting room, just mm-hmm. right here. Um, 20% in distribution. Um, all in Virginia really. that's great I yeah.
0: mean hey if you could sell it locally do it we'd you know? like
1: to sell more in D.C. it's a great yeah. market but it's a very difficult market oh yeah sure it, it is trust me I know it's just it, I think it's more politics and, and legality more than anything yep. it's hard to get in it's hard to get out yeah
0: so yeah and I think uh, well you gotta sort of find those restaurants and people that are willing to take a chance and support and mm-hmm. try something different and uh, I'm sure they're out there but it's the distributors and everybody else that are, well, somebody who's, hopefully, people start breaking through and sure. realize it, but the, I think it'll happen. It's um, the
1: never-ending sort of price point slash yeah. accessibility, and, you know, we're also so new that um, a lot of us aren't making enough wine to support yeah. some of these larger yeah, distribution you start, channels. You
0: start getting into it, and, yeah, it can be tough, and... Yeah, people don't realise how expensive it can be to grow one. <laughs> so that's probably day. why you're selling a lot of it out of your, your tasting room because right. they come here, they appreciate the place and the effort that you guys are doing mm-hmm. and they say, Yeah, I'm gonna spend a couple more bucks for some a good product and and a, you know, something that I wanna enjoy to support locally but when you start going around the big cities and stuff, um it can be tougher because they're saying, "Well, I just want yeah. to eight dollar of just bottle, another bottle of this or on something." So
1: what I love about when people actually come to visit, and we have a lot of you know agritourism, so mm-hmm. that's nice as well. But um, when people visit a winery, uh, I think they really do realize that we grow wine. Yeah, we're not just—it's not a production facility. We don't have a formula. You know, it's not a Coca-Cola plant. We're yeah. not just turning stuff out. We're actually, and you can see it. We're growing it. It's yeah. right. It's right. It's right there. We have acres and acres and acres mm-hmm. of it. And um, I think that's when people um, start to realize that the extra dollars is valid, mm-hmm. and especially from a, a local producer and a family, you know, family winery. You know, uh, they they love the story. They love the backstory. They love to say, "Oh, well, the last time I was there, I, the grapes were just turning," you know. And um, so it's it's a it's a neat thing to be a part of.
0: Well, I mean, I think I mentioned New York earlier. I'm hearing a little more because my parents live in New Jersey. A little more about New Jersey wines, and they've been they went through some law, a bunch of law changes there and mm-hmm. everything too. But I think Virginia's, from what I can tell so far, the best wine on the east, certainly east of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had some Missouri wine, Ooh, uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, they. Uh, I think so. You know, at least at that level, we you know you can maybe get competitive with I don't know is there sure. anything like that right now where they do you know uh, I always hear about oh, New Zealand's going to Gilligrow is going to do something against Bordeaux or something oh, like right. that maybe they should start like a
1: informally, you know, I informally
0: think. New Jersey and mm-hmm. New York versus Virginia and mm-hmm. blind tastings and mm-hmm. stuff like that and I think that competitive type of stuff could be really good so Absolutely. Uh, maybe it's something we need to put together we know? have
1: our eastern there's an eastern Eastern seaboard wine competition um, which is it's, I guess uh, one of the avenues where we all on the East Coast compete but f- for the most part no we, um, we don't have anything you know like New York versus Virginia we've never done anything like that so they're scared I'm telling <laughs> you.
0: <laughs> um, well cool. we just did a you know 30 30 minutes or 33 minutes I think that's okay. probably a good start all and right. we um, what I'm, I have, uh, so it's veritaswines.com, dot com, V E R I T A S Wines dot com, but I'll have that up on um, wine is food dot dot com, and you'll be able to get through that through iTunes. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention or say? Or uh, I I do want to come back next year again and check in with you guys. Maybe you'll have some more construction and be pulling your hair out, and you won't want to talk to yeah. me. And, yeah. <laughs> um, or but at least,
1: hopefully, some new vineyard I could show you. Yeah. Yeah, but I, what I'd like
0: to do is get some pictures from you and maybe get some stuff to put up on the site, anything that we can uh, get get more information out. And uh, hopefully, like I said, come back and talk to you again with two microphones. I hope, I hope you guys heard us all right this time, but I, I think I think it'll turn out fine. Yeah.
1: And if it doesn't, we can do it Sunday too.
0: But we'll uh, no, it should be good. And uh, thank you for sure. doing it.
1: Thanks for spending the time. Yeah,
0: and we'll, yeah. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Cheers.